Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Let me ask you, how would you complete the following sentence? For me to live is blank. With what word or phrase would you fill in that blank? For me to live is blank. No one leaves that sentence unfinished. Everyone completes it with something. And the question is, for whom or what are we living? Answers may vary. We might believe there are a variety of good responses to this question. But today, as we continue our sermon series on Paul's letter to the Philippians, we will learn that when it is all said and done... There are only two possible answers to this question. And of the two, only one is viable. Only one is the answer that ensures we truly and fully live both now and forever. In just a moment, as we read today's passage, the one right answer that's declared by the Apostle Paul will be hard to miss. Many of us will immediately recognize it, for it is among Paul's most well-known declarations. One of the most memorable and quoted passages in the Bible, it's a short verse that's not hard to memorize. It's easy to slap on Christian coffee mugs, bookmarks, bumper stickers, and t-shirts, and boy, do we. It can roll off our tongues without much effort or reflection, but today, we're going to do more than merely nod our heads as we read these famous words. Together, we're going to explore the depths of Paul's profound assertion as well as the deeper implications behind it. With those Bibles open, let's hear from Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 21. It reads, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And this is the, re- the, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imprisoned under house arrest in Rome, Paul, as he is chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, awaits his trial before Caesar. The charge against him is insurrection against the empire, a capital offense. Facing death has become now for Paul no longer a theoretical or philosophical question. No, as Paul remains confined to his quarters, for all he knows, this correspondence to the Philippians could be the last letter he would ever write. And yet, as we've witnessed over these last two weeks, as Paul writes, he is not filled with anxiety. He is not fearful. Paul, as he's previously shared, is a man at peace 
A person who is rejoicing because Christ is risen and because the spirit of the risen Christ lives in him. And it is out of this confidence that Paul makes one of the most powerful declarations as to what genuine, authentic Christianity is when he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is emphatic. Paul makes it personal. For me, regardless of how anyone or everyone else lives, Paul writes, For me, to live is Christ. And when Paul speaks of living here, he's talking about so much more than having a pulse, so much more than doing whatever he wants to do. Being alive for Paul is living at the highest level as God created and intended for him for all of us to live. And for Paul, one discovers that kind of meaning and purpose in one's life by following Jesus. Completely captivated by Christ, as we talked about two weeks ago, knowing and learning from Jesus are the passion and the pursuit of Paul's life, following and becoming more and more like Christ in how he thinks, in how he speaks, in how he acts, in every moment of every day is the pattern, is the goal of Paul's life. And yet, at the same time, Paul also adds, to die is gain. It's almost like you can hear the brakes screeching at this point. Full stop. Say what, Paul? You had us with the first part. We were with you, Paul, with to live as Christ. But the second part, you're not serious, are you? This is just a bit of hyperbole, isn't it, Paul? I mean, clearly you're trying to be metaphorical here, metaphorical death. That's what you're talking about, aren't you? Because the average Christian, let alone the average person, doesn't, I find, share Paul's enthusiasm about death. On all those mugs and all those T-shirts, I often see the first part of the phrase, but not the second part. I've even seen some where the first part of the phrase is in bigger font than the second part. Most of us don't share Paul's enthusiasm about death. Most of us, if we're honest this morning, want to live rather than die. I mean, most of us work hard to avoid the reality of death altogether. I've already made a faux pas bringing this even up. We don't talk about death. We put it out of our minds, even as we age, even as our bodies break down and our minds gradually dull. We refuse to acknowledge death's looming shadow, choosing instead to live the majority of our lives as if we were immortal. And if you think I'm wrong, turn on the television, turn on the radio, and listen to what's being sold to us. You're not 70, you're 50. You're not 50, you're 30. And if you don't feel that way, we can sell you something that will make you feel that way. And when death sting proves unavoidable, even still, when we are faced with our mortality and the passing of a loved one, I notice this all the time as a pastor. When that happens, we tend to move on as fast as we can. We try to get out of there as quickly as we can. Rather than finally coming to terms with our own inevitable death, We welcome, we seek distraction by keeping busy or amusing ourselves. Any initial musing on the fragility and uncertainty of this life proves momentary as we go back to pretending we can escape, that we'll prove the exception, that we can outrun death's shadow. And it makes sense, doesn't it? That we're this way. I mean, all that we perceive, all that we know, all that we understand, every touch, every smell, every sound, every sight, every thought, every emotion, every memory comes to us through the act of living. While life may be hard, sometimes even painful and brutal, being alive is all we've ever known. 
Despite its sufferings, we generally assume life is better than the alternative. What is unknown? What remains for us? The great mystery, which is death. The expression, I'm sorry for your loss. The expression, I'm sorry for your loss, is really an insight into our perception of death, isn't it? That dying equates to nothing more than a lifetime of struggle, growth, labor, laughter, and tears all lost in a single moment. With the silence of the heart, the cessation of the lungs, the collapse of the mind. And death on these terms is indeed a frightening prospect. But these are not the terms upon, Paul, upon which Paul invokes death as gain. No. Viewing everything through the perspective of Christ, Paul looks at death differently. On the one hand, Paul acknowledges, as he shares in his other writings, death is the unavoidable consequence of humanity's rejection and rebellion against its creator. If we separate ourselves from the one who brought us into this world, then we're probably going to be quickly on our way out. But on the other hand, Paul also understood that death is not natural. It's wrong in the sense of the termination of life was never God's intention for humanity. That God instead has hardwired that longing for eternity etched into the very fabric of our being. But what Paul by faith came to recognize is how God, our creator, became flesh and blood in Jesus Christ. And through willingly dying on a cross and rising from the grave, broke the power of sin, broke the power of death over us and transformed that longing for eternity into an invitation into the everlasting. And as he will articulate more fully later on in this letter, for Paul, Jesus is the one, the only one, who thanks to his cross and resurrection turns death from a final ending into a new beginning. Believing this, trusting this, Paul then was willing to live but also eagerly anticipated when he would die. For Paul, whenever death came for him, it would not be a tragedy, but a prophet, because it would bring him into the fullness of the presence of Jesus. More of Christ to Paul, more of Paul to Christ, these are not for Paul his inevitable losses. These are his promised death benefits. And to be clear, Paul, in saying this, to die is gain, Paul isn't expressing some kind of sadistic or suicidal death wish. Paul's desire to depart does not come out of any intention of taking his own life or because he wants to escape this mortal coil. Paul simply recognizes that being fully united with Christ is far better than only seeing and knowing Jesus in part. In other words, for Paul... Jesus isn't merely an emergency exit that someone tries to invoke or look for when the end is nigh. For Paul, if Christ is the answer, if Christ is the only means of a life beyond death, then Christ is the only reason for living, the sole driver for how we live here and now. Jesus is to be for Paul the pattern, the passion and pursuit of our lives because Christ alone is the summit of our identity, the summit of our purpose, the summit of our destiny of growing and maturing and becoming our complete and best selves. Hence, to live is Christ and simultaneously to die is gain. For in Christ, death becomes nothing more than our final gateway to being in perfect communion with Christ. 
to seeing Jesus face to face and knowing fully even as we are fully known. Paul goes on to share how he's actually wrestling between the two outcomes, living or dying, perceiving the result, again, not being as either being win or lose, but rather good and better. And in verse 21, he finishes this thought by adding an important word, always in Scripture an important word, but. For Paul, while the better option is unquestionably to be with Christ, Paul acknowledges it's more necessary that I remain in the body. Paul, in fact, is convinced of this, so assured that this is what will end up happening, that Paul adds, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you. And why does Paul believe he is to keep on living? It's so key here. He believes it's so important to keep on living so that he may stay and serve the needs of the Philippians. That he may stay and serve the good and the growth of the people to whom the Lord has called him. Looking beyond his own self-interest, what would be best for him, Paul focuses on the benefits of others. His specific attention is on the Philippians' progress and joy in the faith. That they would live in Christ. That they would come not to fear death, but see death in Christ as gain. And as Paul then transitions from reflecting on his future and begins what's going to become a longer entreaty to the Philippians, he starts by appealing for them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it's important we understand exactly what Paul is saying here and what he's not. Paul is not telling the Philippians or us to make ourselves worthy to receive Christ, to clean up our act, to prove ourselves good enough for Jesus. No, the whole point of the gospel is God comes down to us in Christ and meets us where we are, as we are, and rescues and redeems us, healing within us that which we ourselves cannot heal, leading us forward beyond the greatest obstacle we all face, face, but that none of us can by ourselves conquer, death. All this and more is a gift of God's grace, something that even though we don't deserve it, something that even though we cannot earn it, God in Christ still lovingly offers to us. So Paul then is encouraging the Philippians not to prove themselves worthy, not to make themselves good enough. Paul is encouraging the Philippians and us to live together out of this grace that we have been given. Because the benefits of this grace are intended to reshape how we face each day and in so doing to spill over into our relationships with each other. As Paul goes on and makes allusions to civic, military, and athletic imagery, Paul describes for the Philippians what this looks like, living in Christ. It's standing firm in the one spirit. It's striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. For Paul, we are to reflect the good news of the forgiveness and salvation we have been given, not just with our words, how we speak, but also through our conduct, how we live, how we view and engage each other. If we are in a relationship with Jesus, if we have received grace in our lives from Christ, we cannot help but share that grace. Have it naturally pour out of our lives unless we obstruct its flow. The Jesus Creed that we confess together implies the very same thing. Love flows out of the love we have from Christ. It flows out of us. And if it doesn't, then we've never actually received the love of Christ. So Paul then is urging the Philippians and us to follow him in living for Christ by serving each other rather than our own interests and ourselves. So in Paul, we witness someone. 
In Paul, we witness someone who, thanks to Jesus, is ready to die, and because of this, is also prepared, if need be, to truly live for Jesus, to live for Christ by serving others. And Paul's not the exception, he's the rule. (laughs) Can we say that today? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that the testimony of our faith in Jesus? Not telling everybody, oh, we're not perfect, just forgiven. Not telling everybody, hey, we're Christians. But confessing less with our words and more with our actions that our first and central aim in living is knowing and following Jesus. That living for Christ, pointing others to Jesus, reflecting the character of Christ is our greatest desire and fulfillment. Is it ours? Is it yours? Do we stand firm and unafraid, ready to die in Christ? Is this our daily posture? Death, it's coming. Bring it. Or does our fear of death remain stronger than our faith in Jesus? Are we on a wing and a prayer, looking and hoping for Jesus to save us from death, but otherwise ignoring Jesus and showing us how to live? Well, maybe we're thinking, well, come on, Pastor Chris, I'd be willing to die once I lived a little. But that only begs the question, who or what are we living for? And we come back to the start of this message. You've had some time now. If you were asked to complete this statement, for me to live is blank, what is your answer? What is our honest response as reflected by the daily focus and practice of our lives? Not what you wish your answer was, but what is your answer? For me to live is blank. Is it for me to live is money? Or perhaps it is for me to live is getting what I want and having a good time. Being stimulated, entertained. Is it functionally for me to live is my career? I'm the job. My education, my reputation, for me to live is my health. Others of us might say, for me to live is my home. For me to live is my family. For me to live is my kids. And some of us might just simply respond, for me to live is just to make it through another day. Truth be told, whatever your answer is, most of us, if we, when we fill in that blank, To live is, the answer is not Christ. It's something or someone else. And death, as I said before, for us, is something we try to deny or defy in its inevitability. Death is something we'll deal with later while we're living right now. We'll deal with it later when we have no other choice. And so we live, most of us. We live ignoring the end of the road, even as we go our own way, as we follow our own truth, and as we live our own life, life on our terms. We exist trying to separate these two clauses that Paul forms into a single unified statement. We live for ourselves and only seek to gain to reach out to Christ when we find ourselves at death's door. But if that's our daily posture, then we're not really embracing Jesus as our way, our truth, and our life, are we? We aren't living for Christ as much as we're hoping and praying Jesus will rescue us and save the life we've cultivated apart from him. And this just won't work because the Bible is clear. 
That all those things, there's such goodness in family and friends and kids. There's goodness in education and job. But these are all means, gifts by which we are to glorify God, to serve others. If they're a means unto themselves, if that's what we live for, then they are no longer good. They are bad because that is what defines us. That is what drives us. That is ultimately what says we're enough. And the Bible is clear. Whatever we try to cultivate and build apart from Jesus always perishes. It does not endure. It falls apart at some point. Maybe not for a long time, but it will not pass the test of eternity. When we're on our deathbed, we're not going to give a hoot about what people thought about us when we were at work. When we're on our deathbed, we're going to be willing to give away every single cent we have for more time. And we may give everything to our family and our kids. But everything that we give to our family and our kids, we eventually are going to have to let go of. Whether they grow up and begin lives of their own, or whether they go ahead of us unto glory. The life we try to live apart from God, securing our value and our worth... The life we try to live apart from God, building our reputation, amassing power, exercising influence, any identity, purpose, or destiny we attempt to forge out separate from looking to and abiding in Christ eventually perishes. It withers and fades away. If what we ultimately live for is anything but Jesus, then death will indeed be a loss and not a gain. These two clauses, these two truths cannot be separated from each other. For the Christian, there can be no living for ourselves today and only living for Christ, living with Jesus tomorrow. When death again comes knocking on our door. If Christ is our only way beyond death, then following Jesus is the only way to truly live. To discover who we are. Are you still wrestling with who you are? You can try to fill that with a multitude of other things. But your identity will never be secure. It'll only be as steady as your job is. It'll only be as secure as what people say and think about you. It'll only be as secure as whatever. But your identity will be confirmed and secure in Christ. If Jesus is our only way beyond death, and following Jesus is the only way to live, to find not only our sense, but our means of purpose, What's this life all about? What are you here for? It's not to please others. It's not to make yourself happy. You're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. You're here to make a difference and for a difference to be made in you, but you will not discover that apart from Christ. If Jesus is our only way beyond death and following Jesus is our only way to live, to be assured and guided into our eternal destiny, what lies beyond what we can see, what we can know. Jesus has that answer. Jesus is that answer. And Paul, in saying this, to live, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, Paul, Paul's not putting, him, putting this all together on his own. Surprise, surprise, Paul is simply restating in his own words the words of Jesus himself. Jesus, who to- told us over and over again that following him meant taking up our cross and dying to ourselves. That the only way to gain our life in him was to lose our life, to let go of our life apart from him. Beloved, we will never say 
let alone believe to die is gain, unless we also say and believe to live is Christ. For the promise and the assurance that death in Christ is gain is what gives us the grace and the courage to live for Christ now. And fixing our hope on the life that is beyond death does not mean that living life here and now is about being a zombie or a spectator, just marking time. As Paul expresses both in viewing his own time on this earth and in spurring the Philippians on in their conduct, to live in Christ means to live for Christ. When our fear of death has been eclipsed and is no more, when our fear of death has been eclipsed thanks to the assurance of our identity, purpose, and destiny in Christ, when the pressure and the burden of that has been forever lifted of trying to define ourselves, to justify our existence, to prove our worth, when the pressure and burden has been lifted of making a name for ourselves, working to ensure we will not be forgotten when we're gone, we gain from Christ. When that has been released, we gain from Christ the strength, the courage, and the energy to come alongside others. To stop constantly looking at ourselves in the, in the mirror. To stop constantly wor worrying about our legacy, our reputation. And instead, to see the people who are right in front of us. To come alongside them. And to reflect not that mirror that we all need to stop looking in that just shows our own reflection, but to show them the mirror of Christ who shows them that they don't have to be caught up in this rat race that we're in. That they don't have to be caught up in this treadmill that we're on all the time to know point and purpose. But that their value, their worth is because they are a beloved child of God. That they were worth dying for just as much as we are that they were worth living for. Our life in Christ, our relationship with Jesus, is to become the posture, the dynamic of how we relate to one another. No longer living for ourselves, but living for Christ. We seek new opportunities to magnify Jesus, to make Christ known, to lead others to Jesus. We try to reduce it to a formula or some separate calling. Well, I need to have a class on evangelism. I need someone to teach me how. You don't need a class. You don't need to read a book. How many classes have you been to? How many books have you gone to? How many seminars do you have to hear? Live your life for Christ. Take what Christ has given you. Let it shine through you for his glory. Stop trying to build your own legacy. Stop trying to establish your own reputation and know who you are. Know where you're going. Know why you're here in Christ. And Christ's love and grace will shine through you and people will see Jesus. People will know Christ. Well, I don't know exactly what to say. Say less and show more. When we live in Christ, Christ just radiates out of us. When we live in Christ, we instinctively, we don't have to be told, we don't have to be reminded, we instinctively, we, 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 because Christ is just radiating out of us, we look to encourage others to know and grow in their relationship with Christ. We don't have to be, you know, guilted and shamed. When we're living in Christ, when we're just basking in the reality that we are forgiven again and again and again, that our lives are not defined by what we do or don't do, by who we are in Christ, then that forgiveness exudes out of us. We forgive those as we have been forgiven by Jesus. When we are living in Christ, we love as those who are loved by God. We don't love conditionally. 
We don't love tit for tat. You give me this, then I'll love you back. If you don't do this, then I'm not going to love you. We love unconditionally. We love because we know that's how we're loved. And we serve. We don't volunteer. Volunteer so I can give up my time. I can show you how committed I am to show you what a great person I am because I'm volunteering. We serve because that's what life is all about. We're here in this together. We serve. We serve by the grace of the word and the spirit. Again, just percolating within us. Beloved, how we define life, what we live for, reflects how we face and perceive death. It's been said that a person is not ready to live until they are first ready to die. And on our own, apart from Christ, death remains a mystery. And the best we can do is make peace with our inevitable end and then try to live for every moment while it lasts. But there is another option. Like Paul, we can recognize there is someone who comes to us and gives us something that can never be taken away, the conquering of the grave and the promise of resurrection. Thanks to God in Christ, we don't have to resign ourselves to death and just live for the moment. Instead, living in Christ, we can face death whenever it comes, however it comes, not as a threat, not with defiance, not in desperation, but with the divine assurance that what once proved to be for us a sealed tomb has become, thanks to Jesus, nothing more than an open passageway from one horizon to another. And in the meantime, with the hope of the everlasting before us, instead of living in fear, And my God, so many of us are living in fear. You can feel it. You can smell it. Instead of living in fear, we can walk by faith. Following Jesus, doing what Jesus gives us to do each day, and trusting Jesus with tomorrow. Confident that along the way, every end we perceive and encounter always can become a new beginning with Jesus, that we can live for Jesus here and now by working together and serving others, serving those who do not know, those who have not heard, those who have not seen, those who are most in need. And through it all, by the grace of God, through our compassion and care towards family, friends, strangers alike, even our perceived enemies, we can invest and harvest a legacy that will last. A legacy that will not be left behind, but instead will become treasures in heaven, part of the kingdom of God, the making of all things new and everlasting. Because my friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.